Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning, Epiphany Church. So good to be with you today. Proverbs 18, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and are safe. I don't know about y'all, but in the chaos of uh, the, 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 the surrounding world around us, the chaos at work, the chaos in the family, the chaos with this pandemic, we need a safe place to run. We need a place that we can run and find safety and comfort and love and care and protection and Proverbs 18 says that Jesus is that place for us. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for the opportunity that we have before us to come together to worship Jesus together. Shout out to the worship team. Uh, if y'all are, yeah, y'all can give them some love in this room. Those of you who are online, let them see that you love them. Just do me a favor, just throw some hearts up uh, for the worship team that leads us so faithfully every week. And uh, to the band and to Josh for coordinating and his leadership. Grateful for, grateful for them. And, you know, my responsibility every week is to preach the word and I'm excited to do so. So won't you do me a favor, grab your Bibles, get to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 is where we're going to hang out. Uh, as you turn there, Gabe just mentioned it, but I want to double down on it. We are very excited about uh, the transition that is happening with our church. I came back from our sabbatical in uh, in September, and I told you guys that I just really believe that revival is taking place. Not that a building is central to that, but it, it does give us a home base to be able to do ministry out of. And uh, I am excited about the ability that we have to gather together again as a body. It's been over a year and a half since we were able to get together beyond just the outside stuff that we've done but consistently get together week over week over week. And so when we got the building, we told you that we would take you along on the journey and we would make sure that you know everything that is going on and we would tell you all uh, of the transitional plans. And so we've submitted permits at this point. Paperwork has been given to the city so that we can do renovations and change the occupancy of the church. Probably too much detail, but all of the things that you need to do to get a church running and uh, we've submitted all that we needed to submit. We're about to do two phases of renovations. The first floor is going to be the sanctuary. So we're in the process about to break ground and start to renovate the sanctuary area. But in the meantime, because we God has given us the ability to have a second floor, we said we're going to, we just going to meet upstairs. So we, we're going to meet upstairs and uh, use that as the a season of phase one of the church getting back together. Uh, the only problem is we're hindered in our ability to be able to contain everybody uh, for legal reasons and just safety reasons. And so until we get the first floor done, we can't have everybody in the building at one time. So what we're going to do is we're going to cap it, but we're going to have two services, 930 and 1130, our normal service times. We're going to continue to stream, but we will have in-person service, 930, in-person service, 1130. You just got to make sure you register when that link drops on Monday mornings. We'll give you more details, but when that link drops on Monday mornings, please make sure you go ahead and register yourself uh, so that you can come to church the Sunday coming up after that. Uh, but we still need help. We need help. We need help. I'm not afraid to ask you. There's a lot of work. This is a lot of work. Gabe would love you. If you could reach out to a, uh, info at Epiphany BK, 
If you could help us move, if you could help us clean, if you could help us organize and set up the space. And it's just so many little details that we have to, you know, take care of. And like I said in the initial video, if we all put our hand to the plow, we'll, we'll do it together and the, the load will be lighter. I don't know the saying, many hands make light work or something like that. Uh, but it's true. I think that's the saying, but it, it's true. It's If more of us come together to help, it just makes everything a little bit easier. We also are in the process of beefing up all of our ministries to prepare for in-person service again. You know, I, I just believe, man, as a leader, you know, when you look at every other space that you go to, you know, Starbucks used to have this thing called the third space where, you know, you go home and that's your first space. You go to work, that's your second space. But where's that third space that you hang out at? And Starbucks is like, come here. Well, the church is like, we want that to be the third space. And you know, it's really important to me that we set up God's church with excellence and with organization and clean. And I don't know, it's just when you look at Exodus 35 and look at how they set up the tabernacle, it was so detailed. It was so structured and you knew exactly how many cubits high you knew. They brought in the best lumber and, you know, the, the, the best material in order to build the tabernacle. And I just, man, anything, anything we put our hand to, we just want it to be done well because you can go down the street to a regular business and they're going to operate well and they're going to operate with integrity and they're going to operate legally. And so we're, we're in the process of doing all those things. And so please pray for us. But if you want to help just volunteer in any way, if you want to help with a ministry, we are having we, what we want to call Brooklyn's Finest. It's a glorified ministry fair that you can come to. I think that will be a good chance to, for you to meet the leaders and try to figure out what you want to do if you want to serve. Uh, so I'm excited. I don't know about y'all, but I'm really excited about this next season. It is going to be a great season. I don't know if y'all can tell, but Jasmine is in the building. The, the energy just goes from like low to all the way high when Jasmine is around, but uh, I'm excited for the next season. All right, let's get into word. Luke chapter 18. If you have a, any familiarity with scripture or you have any church background, you, you will know that this is a probably a pretty familiar passage, a pretty familiar um, parable. But pick me up in verse 9. I think it's some important stuff in here as we close our close but no cigar uh, sermon series. It's been four weeks of us trying to look at the many ways that we seemingly get close to God and we think that we're so close, but yet we really are so far. Because we said in the first week, close just doesn't almost doesn't count. Like, getting close, doesn't that ain't it. That's not obtaining the prize, but Jesus is the one that carries us all the way over. And I think today's passage will help us to understand a little bit better. Verse 9. It says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Watch this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed, thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners and unjust and adulterers and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes on all that I get. I don't know if you see the pride oozing out of this, this, uh, this passage. Verse 13, there's a turn here though. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. 
I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. I just want to preach uh, for a short time. We are not going to be long today, but I want to preach from the topic entitled, Setting the Bar Too Low. Setting the Bar Too Low. Would you do me a favor? Just type that in the chat room. Setting the Bar Too Low. Let's look to the Lord before we dig in. Uh, Father, we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but we do so because of your great mercy. And so, Father, as we come before you today, number one, we come humbly. We do not come with pride. We do not come with arrogance. We come like birds in a nest with our mouths open, hoping that you would feed us with the nutrients that come from heaven. Father, I pray that I would add nothing to your text, that I wouldn't take anything away. But just as Jesus, what Jesus meant when he first told this parable, I pray that it would be applicable to us in 2021 here in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. Father, do a work in, in our hearts. Transform us. I'm grateful that your spirit is not just in this place, but that your spirit is wherever the person watching is, that your spirit is in their car now or on that platform in the subway or in the bedroom, wherever they are, Lord, you're there. And so, Father, I pray that you would transform hearts and you would renew minds today through your word. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Somebody in this room, just say setting the bar too low. You know, one of the things that frustrates me with modern Christianity, particularly here in the Western Hemisphere, is we have a very comparison model to what it means, be careful with this word, to be justified. What it means to be accepted by God. A lot of times we don't base that acceptance and that justification on the work that Jesus has done, but we base it on how trifling our next door neighbor is. Well, what we like to do is we like to have this comparison model and many professing believers that say, that will say, I trust in Jesus, really aren't trusting in Jesus. They just feel like they're better than the worst people in their life. And so what we do with this comparison model is we look at those around us and we look at our next door neighbor and we say, man, they don't line up with your word. They don't, they're not walking with you. And so therefore, God, surely you should accept me. Uh, we look around and we look at our cousin that vapes and drinks habanero tequila and eats edibles. And we say, look at how they live and look at their life. And certainly I don't do those things. So God, you should accept me. We look at our coworkers and we see how they turned up last night. And we were like, God, I don't turn up like that. Maybe a little, but I don't really turn up like that. So God, you should accept me. I'm better than them. And sometimes we even do that with religion. We look around the church. And we say, God, they ain't serving. They ain't giving. They just come into church. But I do all of these things. And therefore, God, you should accept me. But when we do this, we are really setting the bar too low. When you do this, you're playing handball on the curb. The ball is extreme, the bar is extremely low, and really you're building a sense of entitlement. When you are comparing yourself to people that are further than you, seemingly are further than you, then what you're doing is you are building a sense of entitlement. God, you owe me. But when you stand before God, He does not accept you because you're better than your friends. He does not accept you because you're better than your neighbors. He does not accept you because you are better than your co-workers. The standard that God wants when you stand before him is perfection. And because all humans are imperfect beings, it is hard for us to receive that by comparison. This is an interesting passage that is before us. 
It is interesting because all the people that we try to compare ourselves to are really fallen people. We are fallen people comparing ourselves to fallen people trying to be perfect. And in reality, God will never accept that. Why? Because God is too holy. God is too holy to accept any errors in our life, any mistakes in our life. And this is why we need Jesus. This is why we run to Jesus, because only Jesus meets God's standard. Let me say this another way. Only God can meet God's standards. You and I, based on merit, you and I, based on work, you and I, based on uh, white knuckling it and pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, we fail every time. I think I've said it for the last four weeks. We get close, but we don't obtain the prize. We don't get the cigar. And so in the passage today, we get something very interesting. We, we get to see a man that is trying to base his perfection based on the fact that he's better than somebody else, but God never is accepting us based on you being better. In fact, there's a verse tucked away in Matthew chapter 5. I hope y'all are with me. I'm preaching already. Verse 48 says, you therefore must be perfect as your father is perfect. I told you last week, God doesn't accept 90s. He only wants Hundreds, and we get that in Jesus. And so we arrive at a passage where one person is trying to be accepted based on comparison, or one person is trying to be accepted based on being better than somebody else. And really, at the end of the day, he looks foolish. I don't know if you guys would admit this, but many of us fall prey to this. Even the most spiritual, even the ones that they stink that you real deep, that the ones that fast and pray and read their word. And that one, every now and then, if you are not careful, you will find yourself comparing yourself to somebody else. So do me a favor as we walk through this text. Please don't beat the Pharisee up because many of us are Pharisaic. Many of us have the tendencies of both the Pharisee and the tax collector that is in this passage I think it behooves us for us to just quickly define this word justified. It's a theological word that simply means to justify is to declare righteous. To, to justification is the act of God pronouncing a sinner to be spotless. It is the moment where you trust in Jesus, you are justified, meaning, yes, you still are practically a sinner, but positionally, Jesus sees you as perfect. It's justification. So in this text, it's going to say one of these men goes down justified. And you would think that it's the one that seemingly is closer. But the text is going to show us that everything is opposite in the kingdom. What you think is black is in the kingdom is not black, it's white. And what you think is white in the kingdom is not white, it's black. The kingdom is always countercultural. It's always different than what we expect. And so uh, what makes us acceptable? Is it comparison? Or is it justification? I mean, is, is it Jesus? Is it comparison or is it Jesus? Which one of those makes us acceptable? I think the text is going to answer that. But before he does, Jesus shows us, watch this, not to trust in yourself. Jesus shows us, don't trust you. Look at the verse, verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. The passage doesn't identify who the some in the text are. It says some who trusted in themselves. But if you read this in context of the rest of chapter 18, I think what we know is that there's one or two people that he's talking to. I would argue that he's talking to both. He's either talking to the Pharisees that are in the crowd right now, 
Pharisees are, are religious men. They're, they're, they're men that knew the, the Tanakh. They're, they're men that, that had strict adherence to the law. They're men that typically look down on everybody else. They're, they're men that memorized, not knew, not studied, but memorized the first five books of the Bible. They, these, these men were the religious elite. They, they were, the, they were the, 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 the cream of the crop as it comes to religion. And so they're in the crowd, and I think Jesus is talking to them when he says, some who trust in themselves. But also regular Jews are there. And this time, in ancient time, Jews typically looked down on anybody that was a non-Jew. The Gentiles, they called them dogs. They typically looked down on them because they had the law of Moses, and they were God's chosen people. And both of them are in the crowd, and Jesus literally rips both of their righteousness from them. He says, I'm talking to some of you that trust in yourselves. Some of you that trust in yourselves for righteousness. And Jesus says that if you were trusting in you, and I'm talking to somebody else today now, you may not be a Pharisee, you not be a, may not be an ancient biblical Jew, but here's what I know that some of us are, many of us are self-righteous. We live life based on our own terms and you cannot trust in our, ourselves while trusting in God. Let me say it another way. To trust in yourself is to distrust God. You type that in the chat room to trust in yourself for righteousness is to distrust in God for righteousness. The two are mutually exclusive. You can't trust in the perfect work of Jesus Christ and trust in your work. You can't do both of them. And many of us try to help God out. Many, many of us try to add to the cross. Many of us try to try, try to so we see the cross and we trust in the cross and you'll profess faith in Jesus. But you will like, ah, but the cross is a little weak. So I got to help it out with my own righteousness, with my own merit, with my own goodness. I, I just believe, Chris, that some people need to repent, not just of sin, but of self-righteousness. Yeah. Let me put Bible here. John chapter 16, verse eight says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict us. Watch this of two things of sin and self righteousness. Somebody this week, you, you trying to, trying to repent of the sin. Yeah, you should do that, but somebody ought to repent because you think that you are better than you really are. All of us are kneeling. All of us are before God pleading that he would be with us. None of us have made it. None of us are proud. None of us, heaven is not the place for arrogant people. There's not one person should walk around heaven arrogant. Jesus is the only one that should be able to, and he does, and he humbly empties himself and goes on a cross modeling for us what it looks like to empty ourselves. And so I, I've personally been pleading with you not to trust in yourself. I've been, I've been pleading with you since the inception of the church, but over the last four weeks, I've gotten real clear, do not trust in you. And I've said it in different ways. Don't trust in how many times you come to church as righteousness. Don't trust in how many times you took communion as righteousness. Don't trust in baptism as righteousness. There's nothing in the water that saves you. It's just cold tap water. And if you got baptized here at Epiphany, we ran it from the women's bathroom up to the stage and it's, it's, it's nothing mystical. It's just cold water. Don't trust in it for your righteousness. Don't trust in how many times you logged on throughout the pandemic. Huh, everybody else fell off, but you know, I stayed connected. Don't trust in you for your own righteousness. And all of this is good. I'm not saying don't go to church, don't get baptized, don't take communion, don't log on to the stream. I, please do all of those things, but just know those are supplemental. They're not, the, they're not the main thing. They're a shadow. They're not the main thing. 
The main thing is what Jesus did on the cross, not your righteousness. And so none of this will save us. He says, don't trust in you. I'm telling this parable. This entire parable is for those of you who are in a crowd that trust in themselves for your own righteousness. And I know many of you, even in this room, or those of you who are online, that typically lack vulnerability won't be honest and say that you've never, you've never put confidence in you. you, you so some of us, like, let's be honest. You ever hit that good spiritual season? Well, you, I mean, you just felt like you and God was like, he was in the room. Like, you felt like you was close to him. Like, everything, the discernment was sharp and God was speaking and you would read your word. And it was a climactic moment. And you just felt like Jesus was at the kitchen table with you. Like, even in those moments, if we're not careful... We can become prideful and we can start to become arrogant. And as the text says, we can start to trust in ourselves. And so people who put too much confidence in themselves, I, I'm just, they have a very low view of God's holiness. They, they, they do. I mean, if you, if you trust in you, you don't realize how high the bar is. If you, if you compare yourselves to neighbors that are around you because you think that you're so high, you really don't realize that God's holiness really does demand that we be perfect. And so the text is going to say, look, don't trust in yourself. I'm telling this for some of those that trusted in themselves that are trusting for their own righteousness. But then he goes on to say, and treats others with contempt. Because oftentimes when we're prideful, we often look down on others. And, you know, what's dangerous about that is when you get into that comparison model, we typically only look for the people that are the worst of the worst. Do you notice we never look for the people that are better than us? When you compare, you never compare yourself to somebody that is better than you. In fact, look at what this Pharisee does here. He says in the text, verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed, thus God, I thank God I'm not like these other men, extortioners, unjust, and adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I just wonder right here if the tax collector was like right next to him to hear this prayer. I mean, I just don't, I mean, I don't know if this tax collector had hands, but I'd be like, you're not talking to God about me like that. He goes on and says, I fast twice a week and I give of my tithe. And it's so interesting when you look at what he does is he goes down a list. He goes down a list of stuff that he thinks makes him better than the tax collector. Now, don't get me wrong. The tax collector is wicked. Don't, don't get me wrong. The tax collector probably has not fasted. He probably does not give, as this man said, a tithe. He, he, he probably is an extortioner. Like, he, he's probably all of these things that the, tax, that the Pharisee says that he is not, but the Pharisee stands before God, and he pulls out a list. God, I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. Oh, you see this tax collector? He's about to pray to you, and I'm better than him. I tithe. I give of myself. myself. I, I, I fast twice a week, which was more than what was required in Leviticus. You were supposed to fast, get this, once a year. He's like, I fast twice a week. So surely he thought that he was better than anybody. But this man literally is standing before God and pulls out a list of all the do's and don'ts. And I just come to tell you this morning that that is so foolish. Why would you stand before God? And see, we look at this guy, and I told y'all, all of us are a little pharisaic. We look at this guy, and we don't realize that many of us will one day stand before God. And if we are not careful, we will pull out the list too. 
God, I went to church a lot. Like, God, I did a lot for you. God, I mean, I actually, like, disciple people. I wonder how many professing Christians that ran their race will stand before God and pull out a list like this. And I'm just here to tell you it's foolish. This guy is feeling himself. But he's feeling himself and he's setting the bar too low. And when you compare yourself to others, you can always, always, always find someone worse than you. I mean, you, you, you look around your job. Look around the neighborhood. Look around the coffee shop that you go to. You can always find someone worse off. But I would encourage you to look around and find somebody better than you. Seemingly better than you. You can always find somebody that is better than you. But when we stand before God, we never say, God, look how great they was. And look at, they, we always do the opposite. We always say, God, I'm so much better than everybody else. And the crazy thing is those who try to come to God based on their good works, they often always look down on others. And this is why Jesus is so important. Because when I get before God, I can't, I care less about a list. God, here's Jesus. You got to accept me based on him. Because if you accept me based on anything else, it becomes work-based. And Paul says in Galatians that that's another gospel. That, 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 that you didn't tweak the gospel. You didn't change the gospel. It's a whole nother thing. It's not the gospel. It's a whole nother thing. Comparing yourself is not really the gospel. When I was a kid, I grew up in Jersey, and I used to go to um, the courts on Saturdays and with my friends, and we would go to, I mean, we'd hop around. So we, we'd go to, like, the best courts that had the best, you know, basketball players. I wasn't really a ball player, but I hung out with some guys that knew how to ball. And every now and then we would go to one specific court called Gully Courts, G-U-L-L-Y. And the reason we went to Gully Courts, because Gully Courts, the actual rims were not standard size. They were actually lowered. And so we would go there and feel like Kobe. We, we would go there and feel like Shaq. These were the only rims that all of us could dunk on. These were the only rims that leveled the playing field for everybody. When we go to the standard size rims and the standard size goals, they, they would have to, it was only a few people that could actually dunk. But when we would go to gully courts, we all felt good. We all felt prideful. We all felt, but, but we were prideful with the bar lowered. We, we, we were prideful and we weren't on the standard side. We were prideful and we didn't actually meet the real NBA standards. We did it based on the lowered courts. And many of us in a deeper and a higher way, that's what we do with our faith. And when God looks at you, he doesn't accept you because you're better than the worst person in your life. When he looks at you, he wants to see if the blood of his son is smeared on your life. And that and that alone is what deems you as perfect, not, not your own righteousness. And so comparison isn't a ticket to God. Jesus is. Let me say that again. Comparison is not a ticket to, eat, to, to God, but Jesus is. Pharisees I th says, I thank God, man, I'm not like these guys. I fast. I, I, give, I give a tithe. And How do you know if you're comparing yourself? I've been seeing these red flags, y'all. What, what are the red flags? What are the red flags in your life? Somebody do me a favor in the chat room. Just throw up a red flag so I can see it. I got a little something I can see all on the chat. Throw up a red flag for me. What are the red flags that you are comparing yourself to somebody else? Can I give you a few? Yes. One of the red flags that you are comparing yourself is if you can't celebrate when God opens a door for somebody else that you feel like he should have opened for you. That's how you know. You know, you, and we, I mean, we, get, we start hating. 
Like God, and it's hard to celebrate those moments, right? I, see, only the people that are vulnerable will be honest. You ever look at somebody and be like, I don't know why you did that for them. They're going to squander it. You know you should have did that for me. We start to compare ourselves. Another red flag. Another red flag that we are comparing ourselves to others is when we are judgmental when others mess up, but we extend grace to ourselves. It's, it's a sign. It's a trigger that we are probably comparing ourselves to somebody else. Thank you all for those red flags. I see you. Here's another one. When you lack contentment with what God put on your plate, so many of us, Valerie, are lusting after another season. We can't wait for the next season. And in reality, lusting after another season really could make you neglect faithfulness over the current season. I mean, that, that's just how it, we're, how it works. Even in this transition, I'm thinking about all of these things that God, that I've, I just feel like God is going to do with the church. And it's so easy to neglect the faithfulness in this season. There are people that need to hear the gospel now, today. So why are we lusting after another season? That's some of your testimonies. You're like, oh, this my season cometh and my, my season is about to come. And God is like, yeah, but you're in a season. And in that season, I use every season, good ones, bad ones, good decisions, bad decisions. Every season I use, and many of us are lusting after the next season. Fourth, the fourth red flag that we are comparing ourselves with others is when you find it hard to celebrate others' success. It's just, it's, it, you, know, you know you're comparing when you're like, oh, it's kind of like the first one, but this one's a little different when you see success on somebody else. And let me just tell you, man, God never opens doors for us when we don't know how to celebrate others. You want to get married, but you don't know how to celebrate the girl that got married, your, your friend. You want to move, but you don't want to celebrate somebody else's open door for moving. Like, we got to stop this comparison model, and it, it really hinders us. So the pride of the Pharisee falls short because the standard in which he is trying to get to God is based on not Jesus, but rather that he's better than the tax collector. But how does the how does this wicked man come to God? How does the tax collector come to God? Look at verse 13. Y'all with me? Yes. Verse 13. This is how the tax collector comes. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. It says, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, I, a sinner. Look, look at how he comes to God. He comes to God pleading for mercy. He doesn't pull out a list. He ain't going to God talking about the good merits. He probably has none. He, he's, he's not trying to compare himself with a worse off tax collector. He's not looking around the room and saying, huh, I fasted because he probably didn't fast. He's actually coming saying, God, the only thing I got is mercy. The only thing I can bank on is mercy. And let me just promise you, when you come to stand before God, put the list away. The only thing you can bank on is mercy. Why? Because if God gave us what we deserved, all of us deserve death. We deserve eternal punishment. But if you get God's grace, that's what you need to plead for. God, be gracious to me. God, be merciful to me. None of us are going to make it in because we're pointing at how bad somebody else and all of us make it in by saying mercy, Lord. I trusted in your son. Please give me mercy. And this is wisdom when you stand before God. This is how you can and should stand before him. Because all of us, like I said, we're a little pharisaic, but all of us 
got the tax collector in us too. All, all of us got skeletons in our closet. All of us have done some things that make others clutch their pearls. All, all of us have done some things that we are embarrassed and ashamed about. And if God judges us based on that, which by the way, he has to deal with it, which is why we trusted in Jesus because he dealt with it at the cross. And so you don't have to stand before God and deal with it. So all you got to do is stand before God and say, God, I'm guilty. Like, I, I messed up. I, I'm wrong. I didn't cross every T. I didn't dot every I. I'm guilty. Lord, be merciful. Anybody ever just plead for mercy? You know you was wrong. You know that you did it. It ain't a lie. They ain't gossiping on you. It's true. Like, that, that you ever been there where it's absolutely true. The only thing you can bank on is mercy. I refuse to stand before a holy God and pull out a weak list. I'm going to stand before God and be like, God, yeah, I might have done some good things, but this one bad thing could keep me from you. Be merciful, oh God. He stands before God. By the way, the Pharisee is standing proud. This one stands, the tax collector stands far off. He doesn't even lift up his eyes to the holiness of God. Beats his breast. He says, God, I'm pleading for mercy. And God gives it to him. Like, don't run past this, y'all. We read this stuff and we run past it. The tax collector, the sinner in the passage, the one who actually the Pharisee is right. He is seemingly better than the tax collector. But guess what? God gives him mercy. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I love this verse. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, but watch this, by the mercies of God. He doesn't say the mercy. He, he doesn't speak as though it's singular. He speaks in a plural sense. He says, the mercies of God. I don't know if y'all realize this or know this, but every morning you wake up, you get brand spanking new mercy. It's the mercies of God. And so every time you mess up, God is like, ha, mercy. And every time you fall short, God is like, mercy. Every time you fall off the wagon, God is like, mercy. Every time you go left, and many of us have gone left this month, God is like, mercy. Anyone, anybody can praise God just for the mercies of God. Not just the mercy, but the mercies of God. The tax collector approached God and he asked for mercy. Now, he didn't ask for, for, for rewards based on merit. He didn't ask for, for rewards based on his good works because he has none. He's actually guilty. He's actually a sinner. He's actually wrong in the text. So he pleads for mercy. Watch verse 13 and verse 14. It says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you that this man went down. Here's that word, justified. We defined it, accepted. He went down. It's when God deems you as righteous and perfect. He went down to his house. Perfect. Don't miss this. The, the sinner in the text approached God, asked for mercy, and in an instant, God made him perfect. See, we read this stuff and we run over it. He, but but what, what God does in this text and what God does for every single sinner is he does two things on the cross. He cancels the debt that was stood against you, but then he credits the account. It would be like, it would be like you'd be, you know, you $60,000 in student loans and, and, and some, some people, that's a real testimony and you're, you're, you're in debt, you're 60 K in debt and you go to the debt collector to pay it off 
and you pray, oh, God, let something happen. And, and then you go there and they say, oh, you don't owe anything. The, the, the debt's paid. But here, here's, here's how, God, how gracious God is. He doesn't only pay the debt, but he actually credits the account. When I was in school, no lie, this really happened to me. I was finishing up my degree in Bible. I got my degree in Bible in um, Philadelphia Biblical University, now called Karen University. And I got in, in Bible with a concentration on discipleship counseling. And I owed money when it came time to graduate. And y'all know how these schools are. You don't get the cap and gown without paying that bill. And so they were like, you got to pay this bill. You, there's, there's a bill. There's, there's a debt that you owe. And I waited. I'm a procrastinator. I waited to the last minute, Josh. And I go down to the office to try to work something out because I ain't got the money. And I go down to the office and there was a religious organization, a Christian organization in the area that all they do is go around to the Christian colleges around Philadelphia and they start to pay off debt. That's what they do. And so I get there and the debt that I thought I owed was actually wiped out. I owed nothing. But in a greater way, this is what Jesus does on the cross. He wipes out your debt, but then he credits your account and he gives you his righteousness. And I don't know if anybody is, is thinking about the gospel, but you should praise God that the debt's been paid, but also credited to the account. So the Bible says that this tax collector, the sinner, goes away and he is accepted by God. Yo, B, you need Jesus. I'm telling you, you need Jesus. The person that, that you might be like the tax collector. See, what I love about this passage is all of us can identify with one or two of these. The, the Pharisee is the religious elite, the one that's trusting in themselves. So I'm talking to the person, you've been in church for 20 years, 30 years, and you think that you're, you're good, you're coasting. No, you need Jesus. But the tax collector, the, the sinner, the one that is far off. I, I wonder if tax collectors are in this crowd. Like, imagine this. The Pharisees in the crowd that looks down on the Jews. The Jew is in the crowd that looks down on the Gentiles. But I wonder if tax collectors are in the crowd. They would have never heard a gospel like this. I'm accepted. I, I'm, I'm, given, I'm given righteousness by God. Jesus is actually saying this. He's actually saying that the religious elite that thinks that he's accepted is close but no cigar, but the sinner gets in. Verse 14, he says, I tell you this, that this man went down to his house justified. And I don't want to run past this, that the sinner got eternal life. By the way, he did, he did nothing to get it. He, he didn't earn it. He, he didn't say, God, I'm going to come back. Give me a chance. I'm going to come back. And when I come back, I'm, I'm, this ain't Zacchaeus. I'm not going to pay people. I'm not going to pay people that I defrauded. He didn't even, even ask him to pray the people that he defrauded. Like, imagine how wicked tax collectors were. They lined their pockets. They were supposed to, supposed to get $50 for Rome, and they would take 60 and put 10 in their pocket, and they did that with everybody, and everybody knew it, and nobody could do anything about it. That person just received justification, just was deemed holy. So on the cross, I'm ending here, the, the, the cross, there's two things happening. It's perfect mercy and perfect justice on the cross. See, some, some people are thinking that this tax collector, that God just overlooked his sin. No, he doesn't overlook sin. He's too holy for that. He actually deals with the sin. So here's the perfect justice. Your sin was paid for on the cross. That's justice. He settled the account. But here is mercy. You didn't pay for it. Let me say that again. Perfect justice is your sin was paid for. Perfect mercy is you didn't pay for it. 
but Jesus paid the cost. The worship team, y'all come on up. Josh, play something soft. Why would you reject a gospel like this that allows people that are far off to be brought near by the blood of Christ? Why would we, why would we run past the gospel that tells you you can't earn salvation, but it's freely given to you through the work of Jesus Christ? Why would we run past this? Why would we not accept this? Why would we, why would we decline this to try to run our own race when you never get to the finish line? The last four weeks, I've been trying to plead with you and tell you, look, you might be in first right now. We all run in the race and you might be way ahead of us. But I promise you never make it across. You fall before you get to the finish line. But in the gospel, the person that is last right now, that is in last place, Jesus picks them up and carries them across the finish line. You get close, but you don't get the cigar. Jesus victoriously won, the, he, he victoriously won and defeated all sin and death. The wrath of God is satisfied. It's, it's done. It's finished. To tell us that, it's finished. I have nothing else to do but to worship Jesus. And that frees me up, Chris, to do that. It, it, free, it frees me up. It frees me up from trying to work for God, and now I can rest in God. Somebody today needs that rest. I would be remiss if I didn't offer somebody the chance to give their life to Jesus. Who is it today? Maybe today's your first time piping on. Maybe you've been on for the last four weeks. Whoever it is, if you know I'm talking to you, if you know you're the tax collector in this passage, why don't you do like him and say, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. I'm unworthy of your presence. I deserve death. But through Jesus, I get life. Father, I thank you. I thank you for those that are on right now. I, I know somebody is seemingly close to God because they're doing religious stuff. And many people are in the first passage, first part of this passage where they're like, God, I thank you I'm not like everybody else. And they're comparing themselves to everybody else. But Father, help us to get into the latter end where we just say, mercy, Lord. Guilty. I'm wrong. And what I need is the blood to wash away all my sins. The mercies of God to wash away all of my sins. So Father, I thank you. And I pray, oh God, that salvation would be happening right now, that somebody would be giving their life to you right now. This is not hyperbole. Father, I know the power that is in your blood right now. Somebody can be saved. And so Father, I pray that you would do that even in the virtual world. It's in Christ's name we give all glory and honor. Amen. As we're about to worship, do me a favor. Go find communion somewhere. If you have trusted in Jesus, the Bible says as often as you do this, do this in remembrance or remember me. So do me a favor. Go find communion right now while we're about to worship Jesus. And then we'll come back and take it together. <laughs>